Hey everyone, welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore, I'm one of your hosts, and I'm joined by Dr. Scott Nelson. Also joining us on this episode is Grant Herms from News 9 and Sean Murphy from the Associated Press. And I'll be honest, I'm recording this bit of the episode the day after we recorded everything else because something happened when I exported the audio file and it messed up the first five minutes of our recording. So we're going to jump right in to the news roundup. And when it picks up here in just a moment, Scott will be discussing an article from News OK about GOP nominee for Oklahoma Senate flipped parties during the campaign. As always, you can catch this and all of the articles that we discuss in this episode on our corresponding blog post at letsfixthisok.org slash blog. Okay, now let's rejoin the podcast. She switched parties and joined the Democratic Party. Um, shortly after that, she filed for office to run for Senate District 16 uh, in November, but her registration was put on hold because she changed her party affiliation within that blackout date that we were just talking. So she couldn't, like, she couldn't actually change her party affiliation. So because of that, she is on the was on the Republican mm-hmm. primary ballot, mm-hmm. not the Democratic primary ballot, even though. In her heart, she's a Democrat. Yes. But on paper, she's Republican. Right. So she ran in the Republican primary and went to a runoff, <laughs> um, even though she was meaning to be a Democrat. And then after the runoff, her opponent dropped out, even though he was in first. Right. She was in second, so he dropped out. So now she's the Republican nominee, despite changing her registration yeah. to being a Democrat. And now she's changed back. And she, yeah, she had to change it. It kicked in September first, yeah. so she was a Democrat. Now she has to change back, yeah, so she can legally be on the ballot mm-hmm. as a Republican, even though she's a Democrat. Right. And to be clear, I mean, she identifies as like a, a very moderate Republican, and that yeah. she said after the shenanigans of the last year, I think she's a former educator, and she said, you know what, I can't even be associated with this party, and so she switched. And uh, whoopsie, she yeah. won the <laughs> won the primary. <laughs> she said, she said, uh, she's quoted in here, and she says. I'm in the middle of the spectrum on my beliefs. I wasn't really concerned with how I was filing. I'm so bipartisan by nature. And we're really at a point that we need to start working together instead of worrying about what party you're in. But I think this is an interesting point for a lot of people um, who, I mean, so they, you know, the election board put out the number of people that switched parties in the last few months, like once they all went into effect and it was thousands, right? Yeah. Both directions. Yeah. And, and to independent and, the fact that so many people switch parties so often, there's always conspiracy theories about, well, they're trying to get over there and screw with the primary. And maybe they are, and maybe they're not. Like, a lot of stuff changes in five months in this state in politics. And people are just like, you know what? I'm sick of you. I'm going to change. And uh, and if you're someone that identifies near the middle, that, I mean, I can see the problem with a two party system is you got to pick a side and you might switch back and forth. True. I would I would say I think it'd be an interesting yeah, I don't know if there's like a way to do this study. You'd have to I don't, I don't know if there's a way to do it. It would be interesting to see if all the people that like changed their party affiliations like that, like mm-hmm. especially like after the teacher walkout, I would be really curious to see what the voting rate is among that group of people specifically who had changed their parties. Because oh, right. they're like, I'm so sick of this and I can't believe it and they've let me down and I would want to be like how many of you have been voting? Right. Because yeah. because methinks that if the 
voter participation rate and that population is super high, we might not have some of the uh, elected officials that we do, and thus we might not be as disappointed as we are. Maybe not. I don't know. I just think it would be, I think it'd be interesting. This this article strikes me as interesting because she says like I'm so to be so close to the middle that you could like be a Republican and then just change to be a Democrat, but then also feel comfortable cha- enough to change back and run on the Republican ticket. To me, that says you're legitimately like pretty straight down the middle. And my question is, I don't feel like I see those people voting. I'm not saying that Becky Maldonado doesn't vote. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of my question. When we talk about all the people that have like changed party affiliations, how many of those people were voting and particularly how many people, how many of those people were voting in like hyper local elections, like city council and state right. representatives, state senator. When know. the question is really, is there, if their protest is changing parties, that doesn't count. <laughs> like yeah, right. your protest should be your vote. And in the general election, as a reminder to everyone across the spectrum, in the general, you can vote for whoever you want to. Party affiliation has no bearing anymore. Yes. If you're a registered Democrat, you can vote for Republicans. And if you're a Republican, you can vote for Democrats. And Libertarians and Independents. And and, and you do not have to vote in every race. So if there is a right. if there's a candidate for like you know state Senate that you feel really strongly about, um, but you don't know who to vote for for governor, like don't feel like you have to just vote straight party so you can vote for that one person, right? Like you can vote for that one person and nobody else. Right. I would encourage you to vote for as many people as you feel comfortable and be as informed as you can be, but you don't have to like, you don't have to check every box. And in fact, you don't actually check the boxes. Don't put a check mark. Don't put an X. Fill it all the way in. That's right. It's like a scantron. Right. I just said that I was like, you don't have to check that box. Oh no, somebody's going to check the box. I think we need to do a better job of telling people that because I guarantee that I have probably invalidated at least a couple of ballots in the last 10 years by saying don't check the box well i just checked it no i didn't i didn't i remember reading that in 2016 and thinking i have not done that correctly in every election because it's square it seems like and we say check the box that's probably it dang it my vote for nader is invalidated (laughs) and i we should ask brian dean if it actually counts like if you only have an x in one box is that ink enough to pick it up on the machine do you guys question. know? I don't think so. I think that's at the top of the ballot that says, like, this is not okay. There's, right, like, one right. little thing that's okay, and it's fully filled in, and everything else is not okay. Right. But I, just because it says that doesn't mean the machine doesn't work that way. Yeah. Because I'm sure they're trying to avoid, like, you drop your pen and make an errant mark for Ralph Nader, and then you're like, I didn't mean to vote for him. So maybe it doesn't. I don't know. We'll, we'll ask the election board. They know. <laughs> we should go on, because we, we said we were going to go through the articles faster this we week. We did. And... And, and it's not happening. This was important. Uh, next up, we've got another one from News OK. This, all right. So as as you guys may or may not recall, uh, we passed a bill about medical marijuana uh, in June, a state question legalizing medical marijuana. You may or may not recall that after that, the uh, State Department of Health came up with some rules about how to manage medical marijuana. You may recall that there was some consternation about those rules. Um, in particular, one involving whether or not pharmacists, licensed pharmacists, have to be in dispensaries. You may recall that the general counsel for the State Department of Health apparently told a lot of the uh, told the board like that they were overstepping their authority in making these rules and said you should not do this. My legal advice is that you don't do it, and they did it. They did it anyway. You may then find out that uh, recall that um, Julie Ezel was found to have fabricated some threats against herself. She made a fake email account and emailed threats to herself. 
Yes. And then it... Yes. And then it all came out in the public and she... Yes. Had to resign. Yes. Or was fired. Or both. Well... And um, was charged criminally. Yes. 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 Uh, with uh, two felonies and a misdemeanor, I think. Yes. Um, Whoopsie. Well, and now, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. It's not the rest of the story. It's just a new development. Um, there is an investigator from the State Department of Health, um, one Matt Terry, who was um, like looking into this. His supervisor was Julie He's the Ezzel. one she texted. Yes. She said, I just got another email so, from myself. They were having an affair, apparently. Mm-hmm. So, Miss Ezel texted a subordinate with whom she was having an affair, mm-hmm. fake information about fake threats that she. It was real information. Didn't rec- yes, about real fake information. Threats. There you go. Real information <laughs> about. Like this is getting this story gets so like soap opera-ish. It does. I like can't even keep it straight. Yeah. So anyway, he didn't get fired. He got basically fined. He got, yeah, got docked into like an eight thousand dollar a year pay cut. Yeah. Um, someone on Twitter, uh, when I shared this, said, well, I'm an investigator for another state agency, and I make about half of what he makes after the pay cut, so this seems really unfair. And I was like, uh, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I had, I had heard that I know I know that several people, many people who worked at the Department of Health suspected they were having an affair, um, that they noted that the two of them were very close, and so I guess this was not a huge secret. Uh, it, it is another unfortunate development in the saga of the state department of health who just can't catch a break um and uh maybe this is draining the swamp over there like from stumbling on their own steps i saw this and my my response was face palm emoji yes that was yeah i got it texted to me from several people at the same moment you were one of them it (laughs) is sort of the shiny object in that whole saga that you're talking about Mm -hmm. that i always think detracts from the dysfunction at the State Department of Health right now. And so, like, I always tend to skip over that kind of story, especially this one specifically, after the the Board of Health meeting. Right. Just because, like, there are other problems that affect more people than the drama between two these people. two staffers. Yeah. Yeah. This 100%. was a slow news week, but, <laughs> to, to be completely honest. Um, however, it yeah, we like to keep people up to date on the latest on a few soap opera-ish things. Um. Also related to the Department of Health, perhaps a bigger deal, uh, and legitimately that does affect people. Uh, Nondoc, our friends at Nondoc, Trace Savage, had an editorial this week regarding open records over there. He submitted an open records request to the State Department of Health, just asking how many other open records requests are still pending, because he asked around, and a lot of folks have submitted them, and they haven't been filled, and it's a delay, and certainly... In their defense and in the defense of OMES, who's been helping with these, they're all understaffed and they've had bigger fish to fry in someone's opinion, right? Like, hey, our our whole state agency is uh, not fiscally sound and we're hemorrhaging money and we may or may not have misplaced $30 million. So we're going to put your records request on the back burner while we try to figure out if we can make payroll. In the meantime, several hundred people no longer work there. and uh, And so they're kind of probably in a catch 22. I did like that. This was kind of a meta request. Like it's not a big thing. Just how many they have to track all the requests. I would assume. And how many do you have? that are still outstanding. That's all I want to know. How many and which ones are they just as like a, a public service on transparency. And so of course they haven't responded yet. Um, I feel like this is one they could probably do in a couple hours and 
it would probably be a black eye and could lead to further consternation. But um, kudos, uh, on a personal note, kudos to non-doc for trying to be a, a watchdog on this thing. You know, it's probably easier to keep track of how many are outstanding if you make a concerted effort to answer them as soon as they come in. Yeah, I mean, some of them, like, one of them reportedly involves, like, 5,000 emails, which is just tedious. So, I'm, um, I mean, again, as a as a director of a, the other agency that's kind of deals with this, our organization, um, this is a hot-button issue, I think, especially going into next year. Oklahoma has historically been regarded as one of the least transparent states with government. What? Both the reporters are nodding. That's shocking. Right. I'm shocked. Shocked, I tell you. I have no idea. So uh, I, I, I know, I haven't heard, um, I'll say, I know that Drew Edmondson has pledged to, if he is elected to form an office of open government and to hire like an ombudsman that would handle kind of a clearinghouse for all records requests, this could be good or bad. Um, I haven't heard anything from Stitt about what he plans to do. We, we have a request out to him um, to kind of find out like, What's his so, plan? So that's an interesting. That's an interesting because I know I know Edmondson has said that, and I guess and I, I don't know the answer to this, guys. You know, would that office have the power to do anything? Yeah, whatever it's given. Well, right, but I mean, but what power can he give it? Like, so he makes this office of like open record, open government, yeah, you know, whatever. And is that office have any kind of authority to go to the health department and say? you have all these outstanding things and you have to answer them. No, it would be like they would all go to them. So it's like a central records at a hospital, right? So right. like, or a, a medical practice where all the requests go to that one office. Oh, that'll work well. Right. So it, I mean, it would be, in my mind, it did would you hear be the sarcasm like... sarcasm dripping in my voice? Yeah, I did, yes. <laughs> um, maybe like a part of OMES. So, I mean, OMES is right. designed to be the, the administrative agency that does administrative work for all the agencies, which in economies to scale, that should work well. Sure. Um, and I know that's what Denise wants it to be. As long as they have the, I think it sounds great. As long as they have the authority to actually do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? As long as it can't be a deal where it's like, okay, well, so fine. The requests come here now and they push them out. What does that do? Like, how does that force the individual agency, which is governed by its own board, which is appointed by, you know, some combination of the governor, the governor, the speaker, mm-hmm, the pro tem, mm-hmm. and you know, three other random people. Mm-hmm. Like, do they have? Like, how does that make them you, you'd actually have to do it with legislation? Yeah, that's yeah. kind of what and I'm. You have to statutorily right? give them power right. and set that up that way. And, and then, money. Le- of course, the legislature would have to right. pass it. Which seems like, and that's and that's the point that I'm trying to make. Is it seems like Drew couldn't do that on his own. You would need a statute change, which the legislature is never going to pass. Well, he Drew also said that. He's going to work to force the legislature to be subject to open records, which they are currently not. And so, oh, that would like, be that's a tough sell. But yeah, <laughs> it's it's been tried, and uh, obvious for obvious reasons they oppose it. But th- there right. are some in the legislature who who would support that that kind of effort. Yeah, yeah. Republicans and Democrats. Yeah, sure, for sure. We'll see. All right, what's up next? Um, all right, so the next thing we're going to kind of buzz through. The next one's a, a short article from the Luther Register out in Luther, America. Um, and it really, it's worth your read. And again, we'll post all of these on our blog, on our website, letsfixthisok.org slash blog. Um, and it's it's just a small town there, how a small town in Oklahoma is dealing with the new medical marijuana laws, where like some of the, some of the laws that are passed, like about, uh, you know, how far a dispensary can be from a church or a school, it... it Luther recognizes it doesn't apply in their small town because everything is within a thousand feet of each other. And so they're having to like make kind of city level rules and 
and really trying to stick to the rules as passed. So it was just interesting in that I think we all forget that, you know, something at the state level really has to go down to like this granular city level. So even a town like Luther has to deal with this um, because someone who owns a vape shop, like, well, can we do it? Do we have to move to a new building and it affects people's lives. And I like that they, that they wrote about it in the paper. Like a quick news analysis thing with those stories too. And Sean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but like, also in those stories about the granular level of specifically medical marijuana and how state question 78 was written and passed, notice what's not being talked about in those stories because a lot of times these cities and town boards and school boards can't do certain things because it's just not in that state question. Mm-hmm. And so they're trying to figure out how to give people direction without having direction themselves. And right. so they're bound to the negative instead of the positive. It was someone from the state, I was like the city or the city uh, attorney or something like surveyed tons of towns rules and like brought them in and was like here you go and then the city council's like having to debate through it which i'm sure was a long arduous difficult meeting at the end they're like i don't you know and they i think in the article it says one guy's like we don't know what to do (laughs) we're just kind of stuck so cheers to you guys in luther Uh, and then two other articles just we're going to mention you can we'll link to them on the blog you should go read them uh, one is from 538, which Scott and I reference frequently. Um, it's an article by Claire Malone, who is probably my favorite writer over there. Agreed. Called, Democrats don't care about policy compromise anymore, just like Republicans. Um, and so if you do, if you have interest in the, the partisanship and politics, it's an interesting take on uh, on that. I'll just leave it at that. It's You need to read it. It's really good. Uh, and then I sent it to Scott this morning. He said, I wanted to talk about that. So uh, good. We're on the same page. And the other one is um, an article that I heard about because of 538. It's on the New York Times, um, the upshot, which is their kind of data-driven political side. And it's called uh, Live from the Battle- Battleground Districts, Polls of the Key Races for House Control. Um, in last week's episode, maybe this week's episode of 538 Politics Podcast, they talk about this. The Times, the upshot specifically is partnering with somebody, some big polling firm, and they're polling all the like battleground districts or a bunch of battleground districts across the country in real time. And so if you have interest in learning about polling and how they do it and why, um, they've got tons of information. It's pretty accessible. And so you can like, it has a a running tally of how many phone calls they've made. And this morning it was like a 200,000 something. And they, and with each one, like they make the call and everything kind of updates automatically, which is really cool because then all of this information feeds into 538's uh, forecast. And so it's being updated in real time. And if you're a data nerd like we are, it's just a really cool use of the internet and of data. Yeah, it is. And, and you can I mean, you can see the 538 forecast changing, like not quite in real time, but pretty close. Um, it's interesting too, because the definition of what, in this particular election cycle, the definition of what's going to be a battleground district um, is potentially a lot different than what it has been in recent electri- recent election cycles. Um, case in point, the Oklahoma 5th, which is where, if you're listening to us, not necessarily where you live, but there's a decent chance, right? Yeah, it's uh, Oklahoma County and part of Pottawatomie County. Yeah. Pot and Seminole. Uh, so, yeah. 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 O- Oklahoma City down to like South Oklahoma City over east, excluding Thinker Air Force Base. And then Shawnee, essentially, yeah. um, is a is a battleground district now, right? Like it's not a toss up, but it's a lean Republican district. It was started the cycle as a solid Republican, then was moved to a likely Republican, and is now lean Republican. Um, 
which I, I don't want to say would have been unthinkable six years ago, but extremely unlikely yeah. six years ago, four years ago, two years ago. And so just because of the national political environment, there's background, there are districts that could go you know, different than they have in a long time, um, which is just interesting to see that kind of change across the map. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, that concludes our news roundup. Now let's talk to our guests. I, and I realize I don't have a... This is the one section I didn't have a sound effect for. I could do a ta-da. Man, they probably feel... They probably feel shat upon now. <laughs> they do. I'm sorry to shat on you. Um, just like Sean's put his headphones back on. Like, all right, this is getting serious. Just like, why was that? Why am I even here? And I'm a sound effect. Right. So again, Grant Herms from News 9 and Sean Murphy from the Associated Press, or the AP, if you will. Thanks for joining us again. Um, guys, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and how you got into the media and we'll go age before beauty. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, I am a 1995 graduate of University of Oklahoma College of Journalism uh, and um, <clears throat> started working for the Duncan Banner <clears throat> right out of college and uh, basically uh, got hired on by the AP in 2004 and uh, became their capital statehouse reporter in 2010. So... Uh, been up at the working up at the Capitol since 2010, um, and I've 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 covered the legislature for years before that, just for different organizations. But yeah, been been with the AP now for 14 years. And so, do you do the state capital is exclusively? Well, we're we're kind of a small shop, so uh, you know sometimes I'll be cover a court case mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. breaking news crime whatever well, a little bit of everything but but try to focus on you know the legislative session when they're in and politics and campaigns some years we have all of those things in the state capitol can, yeah, exactly can you maybe like explain a little bit um as much for me as for anybody listening exactly what like when you say you work for the ap right like it's easier i think for folks to understand like oh you write for the Oklahoma or you're a reporter for news nine or the Tulsa world or whatever the KGOU. Like when you say you're with the AP, like you see AP stories appear all over the place. Like AP stories are on news. Okay. They're in other, like, what does it mean to be a journalist for the AP? Well, so the AP is a not, not for profit uh, cooperative. Technically we're owned by our members. News nine, for example, is a member, most radio stations, TV stations, daily newspapers, those are all AP members, and so they uh, we provide content for them for them to use, and then we can also use. There's content sharing agreements. So, you know, for example, Nolan Clay had a story about the Julia Zell mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. in the paper today. Uh, we can take that copy, condense it, or c- consolidate it, or would really kind of add to it if we need to, and then move it out on our wire. Uh, can you so. explain the wire? So uh, the AP, uh, it, you know, and that mo- was actually my that was actually my like next question. We reference West Wing all the time here, yeah. and obviously, especially the early episodes of the early seasons of that show were taking place kind of before the information technology revolution. And like, you'll see the internet was new, right? But you'll see like C.J. Craig, the press secretary, will say like, "What's coming across like the wire this morning?" So when you say like. We push it on the wire. Like, what What does that mean? Yeah, so, and you, you really can easily get above my head very quickly. But, uh, you know, the AP move, moves its content out on uh, different wires. We'll have, like, we have a sports wire. We have an Oklahoma wire. Every state has its own wire. We have a national wire. We have a financial wire. Um, and so these are just different 
outlets for the for the copy and you know they they go to our members in different ways and you can subscribe our ap members can you know they can bring in different types of content that they they see fit can you can you subscribe to that feed like an rss feed like can you subscribe to like the oklahoma ap wire so actually you you can through the ap news site you can uh, and that's kind of something that's changed in in recent years Mm -hmm. you know um but yeah you can get some of that content online I'm going to assume the wire refers to telegrams. It does. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the AP actually started back, you know, this is probably way more than you you, you want to know, but I think it was the Sp- Spanish-American War and all the, the big news, <laughs> newspapers in New York were all planning to send a correspondent down to cover this, this war. Well, they all said, hey, why don't we just all get together? We'll send one guy down there. And then he can report back. That's actually all the other and reporters. And that guy was Sean. Right. And that guy was Sean. <laughs> wow! I just want to let the record show that so far I'm the only person here who hasn't called Sean old or ugly or both. <laughs> I didn't say ugly. I just said you Grant. said age before beauty, implying that he was both older and less attractive than Grant. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Fair as am I. Um, I. I will like that. But Sean can grow a beard. I can't grow a beard. <laughs> this is true. This is true. And uh, I do like that. Um, we went all the way back to the Spanish-American War. And I'm going to guess what happened back then was all the other reporters said, I don't want to die. How about we just send Paul? Let's all just pay for Paul to go. And if he doesn't make it, we'll sit, we'll draw straws again. Because Paul was sick the day they chose the reporter. Right. <laughs> right. You know, uh, fun fun fact, again, playing it fast and loose with the word interesting here, but a uh, uh, world-famous individual who, in many ways, started his career as a volunteer war reporter because he couldn't go because of like medical and like injuries. And so the only way that he could go like be a part of the action was to volunteer and go as a war reporter. I, I know I've heard who this is, but I can't recall. Sir Winston Churchill. That's right. Yeah, who's was a reporter in the Boer Wars in South Africa and managed to get himself captured, then escape, and then wrote about it. Got famous. Pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Cheers. Mr. Herms. Um, I started... I actually went to the University of Wisconsin, and I went to be a meteorologist. And it turns out I'm really bad at math, uh, and you need a lot of that to do weather. So I decided to stick with the storytelling part of it. Um, worked for the paper on campus there, worked for the radio station on campus there, and then during that time was the teacher walkout in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. So that was 2009, 2010. Um, so had flashbacks this past year of covering right. the walks out here, and that for me solidified doing this job. And so then I got an internship at the CBS station in Wisconsin, in Madison, WISC. Worked there as an intern and then a reporter while I was a senior at UW. uh, And then moved to Texas and worked in Waco for a year and a half and then moved here. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Did you visit the Texas Rangers Museum in Waco? I did. Man, I have not ever been, but as a native Texan, I really want to. Because there is no higher calling in my life than to be a Texas Ranger. It would appeal to everything Lone Star in it you. It does. It really You've would. seen my tattoos. Yeah, you know I have. Are I we have. talking about the damn tattoo again this week? Not the tattoo. Fun fact, and this is indeed interesting to me, The uh, there's a rule that um, uh, occurred back when the Texas Rangers were like the law enforcement agency in America, or at least that part of the country. Someone wrote in and said, how many rangers do you need for a riot? And the response they received was one riot, one ranger. And that is just badass enough for me to really appreciate that. <laughs> also, riots back then were different. So <laughs> when you said no higher calling in life than for me to be a Texas ranger, 
You meant like the law enforcement officer. Yeah, not baseball. Not the baseball player. No, oh, no. All right. Well, I can respect that. Does Pudge Rodriguez still play? That was the last <laughs> Ranger I was aware of. Pudge does no. not play. Nolan Ryan no. is still a Ranger to me. And that day that he punched that dude in the face was still, man, that was a great game. And I don't even like baseball. That was a former OSU player, too. Was, was it really? Mm-hmm. Robin right. Ventura. Nice. Well, if you haven't ever seen that video, go Google <laughs> Nolan Ryan punch. Yeah, it's when uh, Robin Ventura charged them out, right? Yeah, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. And Nolan's like 20 years his senior and just let him have it. <laughs> Dicks him. It's pretty, <laughs> pretty fantastic. I don't advocate violence, but man, that was funny. It was. Like, he's like, I got what you need right here, son. That's right. Bring it. All right. So uh, the la- past couple of years have been unusual in Oklahoma politics, I think, to say the least. And that's what I've heard from almost everyone who's been around longer than me. Uh, in your opinion, Grant and Sean, what has been the most unusual aspects well, I want to jump in because I, I think there's only one answer, but uh, and I didn't want Grant to steal it, but <laughs> the fact that we have had 12 incumbents lose their job this cycle mm-hmm. is unprecedented. As far as anyone I've talked to, I mean, I can't remember anything like it. I mean, usually two, three incumbents a year, maybe, and, and one of those may, might be in the general. So for that many incumbents to lose, I mean, it really says something's going on here in Oklahoma. You know, whether it's the teacher walkout, whether it's a, you know, an anti-Trump sentiment, whether it's women being energized, um, whether it's some combination of all those things, whether it's the medical marijuana, um, you know, people are engaged like I've never seen them before. People are very super hyper focused on state issues Mm -hmm. as opposed to a lot of times federal issues are driving the narrative. Um, And so I just I think there's really something afoot this cycle. And I'm really intrigued about what's you know what's what's in store for november but i mean the fact that uh that these 12 incumbents have lost and eight of those incumbents were anti uh 1010 xx voters mm-hmm. and, and considered kind of the the conservative wing of the house gop uh the fact that they are all gone and then you add on top of that the you know the members who aren't running for re-election and those that are termed out um you know it's just like kind of uh, what next session could what what could happen next session is is really intriguing i think yeah not, not to mention the open seats that happened in this past year and a half whether mm-hmm. it was they were forced out or they tragically passed away in the middle of their term went to prison went right went to prison those kind of things and those special elections that we saw changes in those districts that was highly unusual was there eight was there eight that... eight or nine that were vac- yeah. vacant seats not all of them were scandalous in nature right. but eight well, or nine seats but I, mean, I think we, between these two things and then other turnover right. we're looking at like 62 members that are going to be freshmen i think this uh, year I mean, first yeah. or second term yeah. Yeah. yeah there's a so there's a number we talked about this a few weeks ago but it's still and you know you can you can kind of come up with reasons why this is maybe not as um significant as it sounds but um 538 of course our <laughs> our source of all wisdom and knowledge um looked at states that had had special elections since the inauguration of president president trump and they ordered them in order of like who had had the most to the least and oklahoma was third at having eight special elections only two other states had more than oklahoma and then they looked as well as what the partisan swing was in those states and so in oklahoma it was striking because you had two things you had one the in terms of numbers the second biggest sample size because the two the two states above us were tied and the second biggest partisan swing. So 
in those special elections specifically, which were not all like blue districts, right? The partisan swing was like to Democrats by plus, I think, 32 points, which is just striking. Now, obviously, we're one of the reddest states in the country, the reddest state in the country by some measures. So when you're starting that high, right, you have a lot farther to fall. Mm -hmm. But there are other states, Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia, that are in many ways as conservative as Oklahoma, where the swing was like half that. And it just, again, like you said, Sean, I don't know if it's the president, I don't know if it's teachers, I don't know if it's the national environment, I don't know if it's corruption or, you know, um, the behavior on the part of the legislators here. Like what's, I think what's driving it is probably multifactorial. But to me, that's striking. Like a 30 point shift on the ideological spectrum does not happen that often, no matter what point you start from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and this is Scott and I have wanted to do an episode with some of the media, and we'll certainly do other ones in the future. I think to get just more perspectives. But um, knowing that this is such an interesting and and I think a challenging time to be a member of the media, as you men are, um, particularly when it comes to political coverage, what do you see? What do you see now as like the role of the media in covering politics in this climate right now? Sure. I mean, I. The way I see this is that you, you can look at it two ways, and one of them is, is the way that I view it, which is it's more important than ever for us to be like ports in the proverbial Twitter storm, I guess you could say, that we as as mainstream media, if you want to call it that, I hate that kind of larger term, but if, you, that's, if that's what you want to call it, like we as mainstream media, as as old media, have to be anchors for the rest of this coverage. And now, like, the other vein of that is is more like trying to keep up with the pace of news. And that's more difficult in what we do. I think, Sean, you might agree with that in a sense. But really nothing has changed. It's actually made us have to, have to be more precise about doing our jobs. But the same jobs of informing people and keeping people in power accountable. Sure, sure. Yeah, Sean, I mean, I, I agree that... You know, the, the landscape has shifted, but, uh, you know, the core mission of, you know, journalism of, you know, exposing the truth of speaking truth, the power of holding people in power accountable. I mean, those are still th those are still at the core of our mission. And so another question that I didn't write down that I wanted to kind of ask and no obligation to answer this, but in light of last week's um anonymous op-ed that the New York Times published about purportedly from a Trump administration insider. Um, if you, I'll ask it this way, if you were in charge at the Times, whatever that position is, editor of some kind, I assume, would you have published that editorial and why or why not? It depends on, on who the person is, first of all, because they obviously know Mm -hmm. It's not like they were dead dropped a letter on their desk and like we're just like, yeah, I'll take this at on this, its face. This looks real. Right, right. Um, so obviously they have their standards and protocols. And if you've read the responses from the op-ed editor, or whose name escapes me at the moment, mm -hmm. um, or have heard anything from like folks at the Washington Post about how they use anonymous sources. Um, I'm trying, I don't know what the AP's rule is for anonymous sources, but generally the vetting process for those things is a lot higher so mm -hmm. my guess is that if i were in that position i probably would have made the same choice mm -hmm. 
No, but I had that's such incomplete information that's almost impossible to answer. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> definitely uh, the, and the AP, we're, we're very uh, restricted in how we can use anonymous sources. They don't, I mean, preferably, we don't ever <laughs> use anonymous sources. <clears throat> um, but in cases where you cannot get the information any other way, um, that that's one of the requirements. Is it something that you can confirm um, once you know the information? Can you confirm it through other sources, mm -hmm, obviously? Mm -hmm. Um, but as far as like an editorial, you know, that AP doesn't, we, we don't deal in editorial. So that's mm -hmm. kind of, uh, you know, a, you know, a tough area that we don't really have to deal with, but, um, you know, I'm sure they wrestled with it in their, in their editorial yeah, board. I, it, one thing kind of in a similar, in a similar vein, I guess, in the sense that it, this has to do with like kind of, um, editorial decision-making I have kind of I guess two it's a two-parter if you will you know I think as a consumer of media one thing and Grant you and I, I think I've talked about this at various points that one thing that sometimes I get frustrated by is I think particularly now I think this happens more on like cable news 24-hour you know MSNBC type you know Fox News type operations and less on like uh PBS news hour, but there does seem like in the interest of trying to be at times in the interest of trying to be like fair and impartial and show that there are like, there's two sides. Sometimes I think there are decisions made to air both sides of an issue where there's not actually two sides. And I would even move away from something, you know, even, like a, even even getting away from the political stuff, like whether or not something the president said, like like a you know, false equivalency kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. It's called I mean, fairness bias, right? Like yeah. there's, I mean, and as a, I'll just put one near and dear to my heart. Like as a pediatrician, the vaccine issue is a great one. Like people will have like vaccine advocate, vaccine skeptic. I'm like, here's the debate about vaccines. Well, there's not actually a debate about vaccines. Like there's no debate among doctors. There's no debate among the scientific literature. The debate is manufactured by a small number of people who read a study that was a lie that's been retracted and spawned this whole kind of blogosphere movement about vaccine safety. But there's not an actual debate. And so sometimes it's frustrating. Climate science, I feel like, is one where this happens a lot too, where there's like a you know client climate, you know, client change advocate and then a client change skeptic. And they're put side by side and it makes it seem like, oh, well, I should make up who I like make up my mind. Who should I believe when really only one person has facts and data on their side? Is that, do you guys have any idea? Like how do those kind of decisions get made? And like you use, I guess that's name fairness bias. Like, is that a, is that a real problem? Is that a problem that I'm perceiving that doesn't exist as much? What do you guys think? It, it can be in certain contexts. Um, I think the vaccine issue is a good one of those. Um, that's why you often see when, when you have both sides of that argument in reputable news outlets, you've got both sides plus an addendum to the side that is, you know, upholding the now debunked study in, in those cases. Um, the, that problem itself with like fairness bias has become a lot more prevalent because of the internet and kind of goes back to what I was saying before about the job itself and us being anchors for fact and truth in those ways, because the waters can get so muddy and if you're lazy about being that anchor you're gonna have this weird 
both sides of something that may or may not be needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. If, if, you, if you're a lazy journalist and you're writing about the anti-vax, uh, you know, and you talk to, you know, Dr. Yen or maybe you talk to a pediatrician and then you just talk to a, an opponent who says she's frightened because, you know, she thinks her kid's going to get autism or something, um, you know, and you don't put in the context that, uh, you know, you know, or like you said, it's, it's, you know, 98% of climatologists agree that the earth is getting warmer. I mean, you can put that in as a, as a fact or, or, you know, pediatricians are unanimously recommend children, you you know, you, you can add those facts. It takes a a little extra research, a little extra time, but, uh, you know, as long as you're putting those facts in there, then it's okay to also quote, you know, Susie anti-vaxxer that, that she's afraid her kids are, well, you know, guess. sure. And then I guess the other, the other thing that I have that's in a, a little bit of a similar vein that also has to do with kind of like editorial decision making. Now, this may sound like complete like blasphemy to you guys. And if it does, that's OK. But you mentioned, Grant, like that one of the challenges of journalism today is the speed in which the news changes. Right. And part of me wonders and I and I like I want to emphasize I'm not in any way trying to hold um, like journalism or journalists and the media at large like responsible for this but i do wonder could the media play a role like is it is it possible for you to for for you guys as journalists to do your job with integrity but also make editorial decisions that slow down that news cycle right like to say like yes just like you know i think you made this point earlier there is so much more information because of Twitter, because of Facebook, you know, other like social media platforms in general, the internet, things break so much faster than they used to. Like the, the information comes a mile a minute, but a bunch of it is crap, <laughs> right? Yeah. Is it, yeah. is, is there a way for journalism to be more of a filter and have more editorial discretion and say like, no, like we're not going to talk about this thing like yes it's on twitter yes it's on was it but but that's not news and so we're not going to talk about it i have a thought here but sean you go first well you know we run into this a lot it's like uh especially at the capitol uh, during the legislative session it's like just because somebody holds a news conference doesn't mean it's news okay just because the the bankers hold a press conference to say hey we don't want banking reform you know, why is that? Why is that newsworthy? Just because they decide to tell us today, they don't. You know what I mean? And 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 it's easy to get caught up in that at the Capitol. You know, the herd mentality. Like, oh, everybody's going to interview. Uh, you know, this this press conference is on this or that. And and uh, you know, I, I think it just takes uh, careful planning. You know, keeping uh, keeping your eye on the ball of like what stories you're working on. Um, you know, don't get distracted by all the noise here and there try to keep you know keep your eye on what what you're doing and um you know so it just it just takes kind of news judgment every day i i usually talk with my editor every day about okay here's what's going on here's what i'm working on you know what what should we you know what do you want to do my other thought too is that the your opportunity to slow down that sort of like social media cycle is transparency to explain to the people watching your feed to watching your coverage of whatever is happening how you're getting your information and which stage you're at here. I did this a few months ago and people were not super happy, but after the story ended and we got it all wrapped up, 
they were mostly appreciative. You're going to have people because it's the internet. Um, but it was um, Terry White was arrested in Florida mm. while she was on vacation. Um, she has a brother with, I believe, a mental health issue. And there was some, some sort of family drama that led to her being arrested. Well, we did this like kind of hour by hour as our update was happening and we were getting more information but started with the fact that she was arrested and it was, this was the charge and this was the thing and people piled on and so then I just kind of opened up my process on Twitter to be like this is how I'm getting this information this is the step I'm at this is the calls I'm waiting back on so obviously these are the things we don't know yet but before you cry foul let me tell you how this process is operating because I can only get information the same way anybody else would right right you're not necessarily trying to like sensationalize anything right but the fact that a state agency head was arrested out of state even more is at least newsworthy yeah that's that's so th that's an example of news right and <laughs> like, and i think the other thing that's probably difficult and you kind of um this speaks to the speed of news is that whether you report on it or not it's going to be out there right like and so it's in some ways we need reputable news outlets to also report on those things in a responsible way. Just like when there's, when there's weather happening, everybody's tweeting about it, but like not everyone has the most accurate information. So we look to Lord Gary or someone to right. like, give us, give us some clarity. Right. And I think, and again, you know, I, uh, I, I'm like, I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to be like a media like basher. Cause I think you guys, I think you guys have an incredible. Because they're in your house, Scott. <laughs> well, I mean, there's that. Uh, but like, I think, I think, I think you all have an incredibly difficult job. Um, um, I just think that there are not you two specifically, because I, I have a lot of respect for both of you guys. But I think there are times where stuff, yeah, it's on Twitter, but because it gets picked up with by someone who has a like has a following and a reputation good or bad. It's like, Oh, well, so-and-so is talking about this. So it must be important when really it's like, no, that person is just looking for likes or retweets or quit, you know, clicks or shares or like whatever the case might be. Mm -hmm. And for a while, I think journalists could get away. Uh, this is before Sean and I both got into the industry. I think you could get away with as a journalist, like, because I'm saying it, it is the truth. And now you've got to come with receipts mm -hmm. and now you've got to show mm -hmm. up with your process with, each part of the entire thing, which makes our job, one, more difficult, but two, more airtight, and at the end of the mm -hmm. day, I think a little more rewarding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, it makes it, that reminds me of like, as a, as a social scientist, that's the same thing that we can't just be like, oh, it's clearly your mother. That's the problem. Like, yeah. no, it's like, let's, right. do, let's do some actual science here and like, prove it, right? Which is more difficult, but at the end of the day, it's more solid too, and I would I will happily accept solidity for speed. I can't. I mean, I can't imagine. Like I've I have uh, I've published one like newsy article ever in my life, and it was two weeks ago. Okay. And yeah, yeah op-ed you. <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, and 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 I like I spent a lot of time on it, and like I had done a lot of reading, and you know I. But anyway, you know, it comes out, and like, sure enough, like three hours later, this dude on Twitter. Well, how do you? like at me and like four other people that had like mm -hmm. shared the article and they're like, well, how does he know? How does, how does he know that he, how does he know that this and this is true? And I like was in Canada 
<laughs> and and I like was having like a panic attack. I was like, no, but but it, but it is. and so I like I'm like, well, here's this study, and like here's this study, here's this study, and like I, you know, Carly Putnam chimed in and was like, oh yeah, here's this, this, and this, and it was like there's there was like plenty of information to like back up this assertion of fact that I had made, but it was a little like jarring. Well, you don't get footnotes on a editorial, right? And it just was a little jarring that like there's this thing that people are reading, and then there's this other person who's saying like, well. Maybe it's bullshit. <laughs> even Isn't it's, that rule number one? The internet is never not, read right? the comments. Ignore the haters. Mm-hmm. Well, but he added me though. So, I'm, can you imagine being a, like a verified? Like if you're Kanye, no. oh, you're just getting weird <laughs> stuff like, all, the all day long, like, constantly. I had one tweet that went semi-viral during the 2016 election, and it was a tweet about how long it was taking, uh, like the something with the, with one of the debates to get rolling and I compared it to like a Microsoft update where it just spins and spins and spins and I had it was like retweeted like 200 times and liked like two or 3,000 times and so my phone was just melting and I was like oh this is just a tiny bit what it's like right like the Kardashians post one photo and there's like 17 million likes they, in 15 they minutes they any battery ever they don't well, they I just, they just don't, they just don't, right. they don't care about anybody yeah. plebeians alright alright well let's um, I've got one last question for you guys actually can I ask Sean a question quick oh yes I've got, a, I've got a thing here that that like it's something that I don't think people understand about how our job works all the time we have day turns in TV which means when I was not working the early morning shift, I would get into work at 9, our meetings at 9.30, our story selection happens at 10 a.m. I go to the story, and then that story has to be done by 3 in the afternoon. So that's five, five hours, hours yeah. to start from a story that I probably don't know all the time, depending on the day. I have to bone up on what I can find, do the interviews, write the story, and then get it to air, or get it to my photographer to edit it and then make it to air. So, Sean, what is your day like? Because it's a little different for the AP. Yeah. Well, I will say that uh, we, we've had a bit, uh, you know, kind of a bit of a shift away from the daily grind. Um, you know, X bill passed X committee, subcommittee. You know, it still has to go through the full house and the Senate. So we've we've really tried to you know, just stay focused on big picture. Like, uh, okay, I'm going to write a story this week about tax policy. And, um, you know, I'm not going to get too distracted by all the, the daily stuff. Um, but we do, we do have a staff meeting every day at nine 30 and we kind of talk about what's going on. What, what, what are we working on? What, what spot developments are there? And, uh, you know, like I said, I've been trying to focus more on kind of enterprise reporting, which takes a little longer and it's a little more grueling editing process. Um, but that, that's kind of... But it's well done for those of you listening when Sean puts out a story like that. It's always worth reading. It really <laughs> it is. is. Yeah. True. That's Hopefully. True. Are you about to ask the last question? It's, yes. I'm going to ask the last question. It's not the last in the list, but it'll be the last in our time slot. Oh, I was going to ask him one more question. Go for it. What advice do you all have for people that are consuming media, right? Mm-hmm. Like there is... There is so much out there. I have three newspaper subscriptions, which is three more than anyone that I know. Um, so, like, that's that's what I do. But, like, for people that are trying to... People that are maybe engaged in politics for the first time, right? Some of these people that are changing parties or registering to vote or showing this newfound interest in Oklahoma politics. What advice do you have for people who are learning how to consume 
media, how to be appropriately critical or not, or like just, yeah, take it, go. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Grant. Um, be diverse in what you read. Uh, understand that you're going to be drawn to things that you align with and that your values align with mm -hmm. and make sure that you find something, even if it's just one thing that you subscribe to, that you read, that you look forward to listening to, whatever it is that challenges those views because it'll make you a, a better consumer of news and a better understander of the rest of the world. And so then when you read straight news, you'll be able to decipher what the other side is saying a little better. And then also diversify just across platforms. Listen, listen to the radio, whether it's talk radio or NPR. Uh, read a bunch of different newspapers because those reporters and those editors are going to have different takes on what happened that day. It's not editorializing. It's just they approach it differently. They, that just is how it works. Watch, and this isn't. This is going to sound like a plug, but it's not. Watch your local news because oftentimes they're going to be covering things the national news doesn't cover. Mm -hmm. And so for that sure. also goes for reading your local news. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. I, uh, <clears throat> I would say just consider the source uh, more than anything. You know, uh, if you're reading something on Facebook, find out. You know, okay, what is this website that is posting this? It, it, where is it on the bias spectrum? Are they, you know, are they a reputable news organization and uh you know read, read the new york times those reporters are doing great work over there it's why it's the times exactly that's right uh so that was a great question scott well done um i was going to ask um we'll skip this one but what is your your favorite oklahoma political story from the last couple of years now favorite is certainly open to interpretation <clears throat> You know, I, I was, uh, you, you kind of uh, indicated you might ask that question. I was kind of looking over some of the uh, stories I did. And uh, one of the guests, you had uh, Leslie Osborne on recently. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember, I remember explaining to my national editors this idea that Republicans, and, and it was kind of when Fallon was talking about in, embracing like the sales tax, and it, it started to get some traction in the legislature. And I was like, you're not going to believe this, but Republicans are talking about tax increases here, you know, they, and, and Fallon in particular, you know, she, she had pushed for the income tax reduction. And, mm -hmm. and so just this idea that, um, Republicans are shifting that, that, the, that the crisis has gotten so bad here that, that the Republicans are thinking about a tax increase, you know, that was just crazy. And, and they said, well, you really need, you know, a, a Republican who's willing to, you know, tell you that. And I remember talking to Leslie Osborne and she was just unabashed about it. You know, she's like, look, we, I love this state and I see it dying mm -hmm. and we need, and you know, and, and I don't know, just that, that story w was just, it turned out to be, you know, kind of, it was exactly what the legislature was wrestling with this idea mm -hmm. of how are we going to increase taxes and, and uh, you know, and so just kind of, I, I just thought that story turned out well, the timing was good. And, and Leslie Osborne just gave me this, you know, great quote of, you know, I'm watching my state die and I just, I'm not going to put up with it anymore. Yeah. I think uh, on a personal note, I think Leslie is a fascinating case study in Oklahoma politics for that very reason that when she was elected 10 years ago, 12 years ago, she was a, a traditional, like pretty rank and file Republican. Oh, yeah. she, she wanted to bring the income tax to zero. I right. remember her. Yeah. And, and she's open about this and she's like, you know, but I got in there and I listened, which is a key thing. And she asked questions and then listened to the answers and, and watched things and was like, 
I can't in good conscience like stay with this position because it's in her opinion it was wrong and I think <laughs> I think when uh, when McCall and her really butted heads and she got demoted from being uh, chair of appropriations and budget well she had nothing left to lose and she's like all right well I'm just gonna speak my mind even more now and and Scott and I have had this conversation where and almost every time that I've been around her and she's had an audience whether it's two of us or like 50 of us she says the exact same thing and it's like there's she has changed um based on her observation and I and I think that is the kind of authenticity that voters today care about right she's I mean and I think the to me the like the the term for it is she's intellectually honest right like she's a republican she's conservative she knows what she believes but she's also willing to understand how what she believes can go too far and she'll say we went too far we overdid it right. and we, you know what i mean like she's not like and i think i think that that's unfortunately uh less and less common in many of our politicians yeah, at I the agree. state yeah. and at the state and federal level i mean yeah. she is how it's supposed to work that you elect right. somebody that you send to the state capitol on your behalf that now has more information than you that mm-hmm. has better information than you you elect them based on your values thinking that they would make the same decision that you would make given what they'll learn while they're at the capitol and do this on your behalf right and right. it is increasingly less common yeah grant what's your favorite news story um it was during the Richard Glossip stay, the the most recent one mm. that is now the continued stay, and from the frontier when Ziva Branstetter and Carrie Aspinwall were oh, there man. together. Great, great news outlet. Yeah, amazing news outlet. They both have moved on to, you know, bigger mm-hmm. and better places. But it was <laughs> was nice. Scott was, nice. was pouring a beverage. <laughs> that was a pour, not the other thing. <laughs> um, but I remember that it was just a few months after I got to Oklahoma, mm. and coming in every day and I was sort of following not the daily grind of that story but the the bigger think things that were happening in the governor's office at that point in time and just being like well crap now there's another thing that I've got to follow the frontier on this morning because they right. beat me to it because they had it yesterday and I came in this morning and it's been out for 12 hours like it was just really kick-ass reporting right I, I will say Grant on a that reminds me that there's been several times that you and I have had conversations about uh, any number of stories and that you voiced like frustration because some of the reporter got to it first. And I appreciate your candor. It's like that guy, how does he like get me on every he scoops me on every story? And it's like Nolan Clay beat me by nine hours on, <laughs> <laughs> on the, um, the, the Kirby story. Oh yeah. I'll never forgive him. That's funny. And also I saw this is a few weeks ago, but like, Either Ben or Dale, one of the guys Oklahoman tweeted about being scooped out of their own story by the other one. Like it was funny, like in the same newsroom, someone else got a tip and then ran with it, and they're like, "That dang it, man!" So I, what that says to me is that everyone is working really hard to do this. So, all right, well, um, thanks so much. This has been a great, uh, very informative and insightful look into the life of two local reporters. Um, I will, I will say like. And Grant, you mentioned the uh, the term mainstream media earlier, and it strikes me as funny because, okay, aside from cable news, that term could apply to anyone who's mainstream media, including like the Luther Register or the Duncan Banner Press, which is quintessentially not the same thing. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, we're going to move on to, uh, I think, 
almost our last segment, our mailbag, which we've never had before. Hang on, I got a sound effect. He's so excited. <laughs> Should turn that up. All do right. It, do it, no, do it again. Do it again. again. It's time for the mailbag. This is a response to last week's question of the week. And the question was, other than education, what's the most important issue to you this election cycle? Uh, so we had two responses that I'm going to highlight here. Haley Marie Brown said, quote, I'm super excited about real people running who are not corporate or industry puppets. And she was specifically signing Democratic candidate for Corporation Commission, Ashley Nicole McRae. So again, I think this speaks to that voters' desire for authenticity. The other response is a uh, a much longer eight-tweet thread from Zeth McNeil, um, which I, I think is really detailed and insightful. Uh, and so Zeth said, I care about... I'm going to read the whole thing, just so you guys know. Hold, brace yourselves. Uh, I care about civic engagement. Any politician who is running on civic engagement probably has my vote. I'm cool with that. Uh, let me give an example. The person I'm most excited to vote for this election cycle is Carrie Blumert, who's running for Oklahoma County Commissioner. And then they go on to explain why. She isn't going to Congress to hold this administration accountable. She isn't going to represent my interests in the tug of war over the future of Oklahoma education. But she came to my door as part of a door-knocking campaign that has included thousands of doors across OKC. She taught me that they, the three Oklahoma County Commissioners sit on a board that includes the county clerk and the county sheriff, where everyone has equal voting power on the f- issues facing OKC. So many people in this city are appalled that our jail lets people die, that cells are so overcrowded, and that our government is mismanaging and underfunding this program. But I would have never guessed to hold the, cou- the court clerk accountable as one of the managers of that system. I would have never thought that it might be some hard questions that need to be answered on this topic. But before ideology and before policy, we talked on Carrie's porch for maybe half an hour, and I became a better and more informed citizen. This is a major tenet of her campaign, and it's sorely needed. Candidates who remind me that Democrats aren't going to fix this, Republicans aren't going to fix this, fresh faces aren't going to fix this, but we, the people, are going to fix this together. Those are my favorite candidates. I just got a little teary reading that. Like that's, I mean, I think to me, that is the essence of why that I started Let's Fix This in the beginning is that people have to care. People have to take the, the five or 30 minutes to be slightly more informed and to suddenly have their eyes opened that something like, there's a ton of power consolidated yeah. at the county level and the court clerk matters. They don't just give you marriage licenses. They decide how much money the jail gets. We get it's a big hairy deal. Well, and I think you you know, you just you hit on it. Like you're right. And I would say that there's there's two things. People people have to care, but most people do. I think right like I think well, I people think, honestly, care. But but they don't but know. They 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 don't know, and then maybe it's not. Maybe it's not they two things. Maybe know. there's three things. They have to care. They have to know what's happening. I think most people, if they like, know that inmates are dying in the jail every week. Most people think that's not acceptable, right? Like, um, not every week, but more often than they should. Mm-hmm. Um, most people would care about that in terms of thinking, oh no, that's not how it should be, right? But I think the step beyond the step beyond concern 
is you have to have what Zeth has, at least now, maybe he had before, maybe he just has it after talking with Carrie. You have to believe that change is possible, mm. right? Like, you have to be like, it's not enough to intellectually understand that if everyone votes, the system can change. You have to believe that that is a thing that can happen. I mean, that's, when- and that's the critical action step, right? Like, that's like that. That is what it takes. More than knowledge, more than empathy, more than caring. You have to believe that your voice matters. That's if right. you don't if you don't have that step and you can't just know it intellectually, right? You have to believe that my vote, my phone call, my letter, my talking to my legislator, you have to believe that that counts for something. And until you believe that, I don't I don't think anything else matters. This is making me so excited for November so that well, for one so people will right. vote for two we'll know who is elected yep. and then we can start building relationships with all these brand new greenhorn legislators yep. that know as much as the rest of us right yep. like many of them are, are just they were us and six yeah. months ago and they yeah. decided to run for office and now they're getting elected and this is why Let's Fix This exists so if you've happened to start listening to us in the last few weeks or months and by the way this is uh, roughly, we'll say this is like our one-year anniversary of the podcast. Number 52. This is our 52nd official episode. We've had some other ancillary ones. However, hodgepodge. Hodgepodge, right. Um, we should publish one of them. So I keep outtakes from every episode <laughs> of the things that Scott and I say off the air, and I've, I've compiled them into some very funny... Do you think anyone else would laugh as much as we do? I doubt it. Also, they're just riddled with curse Depends words. on how far into the bottle of whiskey they've got. That's, that's fair. Um, and how far into the bottle we were when we uh, made the outtakes. Uh, usually, it's it's the beginning. That's true. Um, anyway, um, but beginning next February, when we start hosting our monthly capital days, and we'll do some capital crawls between now and then as well, um, where you as voters have a chance to come and meet your elected officials, you've got to come. We do this for you because we believe that you should know the people that that represent you. Yeah, and come, come like we do them every month, but you don't have to come to every single one of them, right? Like come once. most people can't come one time. Take half a day off work, right? Take four, four hours of PTO. Here. Four hours of your PTO for the year to come to the Capitol and change your state. And if, yeah. I'll buy you lunch. Not all of you. But <laughs> like, dude, you be careful. We've, use we've, had cu- hun- we've had hundreds of people there before. Use coupon code TACO. And no, I'll, I'll it's buy great. you like, one we TACO. Have, <laughs> we have, we have legis- legislators come and talk. We have Republicans. We have Democrats. We have senators. We have uh, state representatives. We have random staffers. Like, it's, it's, it's really great. And if you've never been to the Capitol or seen the Capitol, it's it's cool. Like it's just really cool to see when they're in session Ooh, and like so you can different go in the, now. Yeah, and you can go in the chambers. I think I think the new entrance will be open, right? Uh, maybe. I don't know if the new entrance will be, but the new food service thing. Yeah, might. yeah, yeah. It's yeah, got to yeah. be cool. Uh, also, it's going to be a weird year because the governor, whoever's elected, uh, Edmondson or Stitt, won't be in the governor's office. Right. They'll be on some other floor. All right. All right, it's the new question of the week sound. Scott, did you like that? that I, was, I do. You're very, uh, you like the trumpets. Yeah. You're into the fanfare. I've, I've played for you the podcast, uh, whatever. It's not the trumpet, but yes. it's uh, whatever the British thing is. Um, anyway, question of the week. That's the point here. Uh, this goes back to an earlier conversation. 
Have you, listeners, this is your question, have you always been registered as one party or the other? What are some of the reasons that would cause you to switch your party affiliation? So hit us up on Twitter at Let's Fix This Okay. Let us know if you've always been the same or if you've changed and what issues would cause you to change in the future. Um, so please, yeah, on Twitter, Let's Fix This Okay. Or you can email us if you have a longer answer or you don't like Twitter, podcast at letsfixthisok.org. And I think that brings us to the end of the episode. Whoa, that was louder than I expected. I apologize. Uh, Grant, Sean, thank you so much for being here. Grant, you can connect with on Twitter. What's your handle? It's Grant Herms KWTV. Same thing on Facebook. On Instagram, it's Grant Herms TV. That's more personal foodie stuff than news. That's good. And also your desk doodles each day. And desk doodles, yes. Very entertaining. Nice. I like that. Sean, how about you? Uh, At AP Sean Murphy on Twitter. Nice. Excellent. Uh, You can follow us. As I said, let's fix this okay on Twitter. Scott is at SC Melson. I'm at Andy OKC. We're all very Twitter-centric here. If you're not on Twitter, I guess you should be. Uh, Everybody is, including the president. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe and rate Let's Pod This on Apple Podcasts. I will say that right now we are the highest-rated Oklahoma politics podcast in the state. Five stars on Apple Podcasts. And we have more rankings than a non-docs thing over there. I got into a, a funny text conversation with them. Um, our, our theme music is provided by the Sugar Free All-Stars. They're great. Listen to their music. Um, Let's Fix This is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization who strives to educate and equip all Oklahomans to engage with their government in meaningful ways. And we encourage you to get involved in any way you can. Remember, decisions are made by those who show up. Have a great week.